1925, 34 years after he embarked on his career as a symphonist, Carl Nielsen reached Journey's End, his sixth symphony, written in a new century and after Europe had been engulfed by war. Nielsen called it his Sinfonia Semplice, but it's not so much a simple symphony as a work in search of simplicity. And rather than feeling as though the composer has finally reached his destination, it sounds as though he's heading in a different direction, as we're about to find out. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of BBC Radio 3's CD Review, and in this podcast edition of Building a Library as part of BBC Radio 3's Northern Light season, reviewer Stephen Johnson compares recordings of Nielsen's Symphony No. 6 from classic accounts to the latest releases for the composer's 150th anniversary this year. When Nielsen's Sixth Symphony first appeared in 1925, even some of his staunchest admirers found it confusing, or worse, a colossal letdown. After the elemental dramas of the Fourth and Fifth Symphonies, why this strange kaleidoscope of naive folksiness and anarchic, abrasive modernism? Had Denmark's greatest composer simply lost his way? But in recent times, Nielsen VI has increasingly come to be seen as one of the great innocence-to-experience dramas in symphonic music. You do get a sense in that seemingly relaxed jog-trot opening of someone starting out on a journey, Schubert's young Miller happily following the brook in Die Schöne Müllerin, or Red Riding Hood setting off into the woods to see Grandma. What you also get fairly quickly, however, is a sense that all is not quite what it seems. There are shadows passing but troubling, ominous cracklings in the undergrowth. We've just heard Herbert Blomstedt in his second Decca recording with the San Francisco Symphony. His innocent wayfarer seems pretty resolute at first, but then come those flickers of anxiety, or perhaps they're more than flickers. Now here's a gentler approach, more of a contented stroll at first, more in keeping perhaps with Nielsen's suggested title Semplice but it isn't simple for very long. (laughs) ¶¶ 
sense of freshness in the air, of slightly qualified pleasant anticipation. Then there was growing touches of anguish. And finally, that soft, beautifully twilit fade. That was Colin Davis with the London Symphony Orchestra on LSO Live. Now here's something different again, alert from the start and full of tiny telling details. The shadows may intensify, but to my ears, they're already inherent at the start. Zachary Oromo with the Royal Stockholm Philharmonic on Bis. We'll be hearing more of them. Soon after that extract, a fugue starts on the strings. Playful at first, but before long, things start turning nasty. There's a lot in this symphony that reminds me of E.M. Forster's famous remark about characters in his novels getting out of hand. It seems Nielsen did originally want this to be a simple symphony but even he had to admit that the music had its own ideas. Here's Pavo Berglund approaching the first big climax, lean, keen-edged and driven.
Parfo Berglund with the Royal Danish Orchestra. An exciting build-up, but in that flowing singing polyphony that follows, the wintry feeling lingers, and it doesn't help that the recording pushes the horns backwards. In contrast, here's Michael Schönwand on Naxos. He's a little slower, but that allows time for more details to speak, and paradoxically it brings even more urgency. There's a sense of apprehension as the climax approaches. Then the radiant polyphony blossoms, with the horns not loud, but truly noble. Michael Schönwand with the Danish National Symphony Orchestra, leaving us with the feeling that Semplice Innocence might prove surprisingly resilient, especially in the lovely hushed passage that follows, whispered strings, sweetly twinkling piccolo, and delicate touches of glockenspiel tinsel. But it isn't long before this first movement puts a decisive end to such naive hopes. Another fugue, launched by perky woodwind this time, soon grows strained and contorted. Then suddenly the tempo jolts up a gear and the heavy brass thunder in. True to form, Colin Davis remains on the slow side, but there's a sense of grim inevitability as the crunch looms. Thank you. 
Colin Davis, impressive, but for scary fury and a car crash climax, you can't get much better than Osmo Vanska. frozen, traumatic dissonances and alarm bells ringing crazily. Lockenspiel has lost all its child's toy associations by now. That was Osmo Vanska with the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, again on Beast. This extraordinary passage can convey something like massive sensory overload. Once you know that Nielsen had suffered a serious heart attack just before beginning this symphony, it's hard to push that from your mind listening to music like this. But I do like the way Herbert Blomstedt handles that momentous passage. It's every bit as thrilling as Vanska, but this Nielsen just about manages to keep his grip on the steering wheel, despite internal and external onslaughts, even in the weird, weightless, nowhere mist that follows. <laughs>
Nima Yervi, with the Gothenburg Symphony Orchestra, is particularly good in this shocked aftermath music, and I particularly like the lovely tender string elegy that emerges from the wreckage and stunned hush. Nema Yervi, another beast recording. Yervi is always outstanding when it comes to speaking eloquence in passages like that. But Zachary Oromo, like Herbert Blomstedt, is superb at showing how it all hangs together, how everything is part of this sustained, all-too-human narrative. Oromo is particularly good in the crescendo that follows that last extract. The tragedy isn't complete yet. The hopeful traveller still has some determination left. But this is the point when it all really starts to unravel.
From that we fall to a kind of exhausted calm, and the first movement ends, ambiguously in some versions, more in sadness from Michael Schoenwandt or his compatriot Ole Schmidt, of whom more later. But then comes one of those bizarre changes for which this symphony is, well, some would say celebrated, others notorious. Where are we now? Is this some kind of nightmare toy shop? Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker reimagined by Tim Burton? That was Alan Gilbert with the New York Philharmonic on Da Capo, at the beginning of the movement Nielsen called humoresque. Beautifully played and recorded, and with a very strong shaping spirit. You never feel lost or confused for very long in Gilbert's version. Nor do you in Douglas Bostock's version on Classico. Bostock seems to hang on to the notion of semplice innocence, a touching cheerfulness that somehow manages to endure existential onslaught for longer than most of his competitors. In that respect, he reminds me of the 1949 recording by the Swedish Nielsen champion Tor Mann, a fascinating performance, but with the recording now sounding very old indeed. In any case, I'm more convinced by the sense of creeping malaise created by Herbert Blomstedt, the sense of something more alarming behind those garishly painted wooden faces and jerky puppet limbs.
Those trombone yawns, or are they sneers, were apparently Nielsen's reaction to the often absurdly warring isms and factions in contemporary music in the 1920s. That stiffly prancing little clarinet and bassoon dance tune could be a kind of Danish neoclassical Stravinsky. But Nielsen's attitudes to many things were in a state of troubled flux at the time he wrote the Sixth Symphony, and in any case, the humoresque ends rather strangely. Colin Davis may not always be as barbed or as jumpy as Blomstedt, but a sense of weary disillusion seeps into the coda of this short movement, even when the tempo notches up at the end. Humour finally slipping like dust between Nielsen's fingers in Colin Davis's LSO live recording. That certainly makes it easier to understand what happens next.
Ole Schmidt, also with the LSO, opening the movement Nielsen rather unnecessarily entitled Proposta Seria, a serious proposition. It starts as a noble but intensely sad fugue. Then comes that chilling moment when the texture is pierced by loud but muted violins, which then tail off into those weirdly claustrophobic not-quite-repetitions. It reminds me of the kind of dreadful, compulsive, intrusive thoughts that torment the mind in serious depression. Overall, I think Olle Schmidt gets the sadness at the heart of Nielsen's simple symphony better than anyone. This was my first Nielsen Six, and hearing it again was a welcome confirmation of just how good it is. But getting to know other recordings has made me wonder if reading this symphony as a testament of despair isn't in the end too one-sided. There's less sense of resignation in this version, I think, perhaps more of protest. And in those obsessive cat's cradle-like violin repetitions, could there also be a kind of obstinacy, the kind of half-crazed determination that might just get us through all this? Zachary Oromo. The violin's bleak, nervous fidgeting doesn't persist throughout this movement. There are some calmer, if rather sour, woodwind interludes. But then comes the moment when the violins finally peter out, and we are left with what? Relief? Regret? Or just emptiness?
Michael Schönwand, whose version seems to me to suggest a process of more or less steady, intensifying disillusionment. Yet when I hear Herbert Blomstedt, there's something about his unfalteringly steady hand in the face of mental horrors and aching inner voids that seems to me possibly truer to what I know of Nielsen the composer. My music has a certain current, he once remarked, and I can sense it throughout Blomstedt's recording, eventually drawing even the most wild and unlikely extremes together, and possibly even finding a faint note of hope in this movement's ending. I hope you could make out that strange, fleeting dip in the bass line at the end of that extract. Probably not if you're listening on a car radio. But Blomstedt catches that particularly well. It's a tiny but significant indication that the story is not over yet, that there are some very different things to come. Thank you. 
Colin Davis launching the finale and one of the strangest sets of variations in classical literature. Once again, Davis shows that a gentler approach can pay off, especially in that beguiling but more than faintly sinister bassoon solo. But I do think he overdoes the abrupt tempo contrast in the variations that follows. There's no need to put makeup on Nielsen's gargoyles. Innocence of a kind does return later in the form of a strikingly Shostakovich-like waltz variation. But this is now seriously disturbed innocence and before long it's overpowered by murderous heavy brass and bass drum in what sounds like the wrong tempo. Osmo Vanska skillfully manages to make it sound as though the waltz is really a preparation for this heart-stopping moment, as though the perky woodwind are taunting or even courting the ogre out of hiding. Vanska. But I do think that passage is even more poignant and shocking when that poor unbalanced waltz is taken by horrible surprise. Zachary Oromo. His brass are clearer there, both in articulation and in recording quality, and for me the effect is still more deadly. Oromo prepares beautifully for the true heart of Nielsen's sixth, Variation 8, a profound elegy, its tragic tone hardly dispelled by memories of Glockenspiel nursery tinsel. Here's Alan Gilbert again.
Alan Gilbert, beautiful as ever in tone and shape. But compare that to the more flowing, yet also more speaking, name of Yervi. For Yervi, this variation is a complex and very personal dramatic sequence. At first, dignified resignation and grief, then distant memories of faded innocent hopes, then a gesture of anguished, exhausted dismissal. It feels as though that could be the end of the symphony, but it isn't. And in the extraordinary denouement that follows, two versions stand out, two that have been also the most consistently impressive throughout this strange journey. First, here's Zachary Oromo, revelling in the bleak mockery of it all. So much for tragic dignity.
It seems that even the notorious anarchic side drum from Nielsen's Fifth Symphony has returned to gloat. Zachary Oromo is terrific in the deathly phantasmagoria that concludes Nielsen's Sixth. But the version that for me beats it by a whisker, one that's been chosen before on Building a Library and I'm very happy to re-endorse it, is Herbert Blomstedt with the San Francisco Symphony. Despite what Nielsen said about unifying currents in his music, despite his repeated humanist affirmation, there were always dangerous, existentially threatening elements in his sound world. In this, his last symphony, they come close to overwhelming everything. But Blomstedt also brings out the strength, the determination to stare out death and inner chaos. You can hear it in the final moments, just when it seemed that everything is falling apart, the bassoon theme from the start of the finale re-emerges, with a kind of sly, quizzical, I'm still here though. As for the very last note, well, for those of you who don't know the final outcome, I'll leave Herbert Blomstedt's two bassoonists to wrap it all up, or perhaps I should say, mop it up. It's always a delightfully surprising ending. Nielsen thumbing his nose at us with the help of the bassoons, in this case from the San Francisco Symphony conducted by Herbert Blomstedt. And for reviewer Stephen Johnson, it's the classic account that still has the edge on all its rivals, even the most recent recordings for Nielsen's 150th anniversary this year. So that's Stephen's overall Building a Library recommendation. It's Blomstedt's second recording of the Sinfonia Semplice. It's on the Decca label, and you can choose either a two-CD set of Nielsen's fourth, fifth and sixth symphonies, or the complete cycle in a Decca collector's edition on six CDs. That's alongside other orchestral and choral works and the opera Masquerada. They're both at budget price, and you'll find full details on the CD Review website. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library, recorded as part of Radio 3's Northern Lights season of Nordic music and culture. Next week, it's the last edition of Building a Library for 2015, and organist Oliver Condy compares recordings of the organ concerto by Francis Poulenc. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for CD Review, Saturdays from 9 on BBC Radio 3, 90 to 93 FM, online and on digital radio. This is a download from the BBC. 
For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.